Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we review that film, we discuss that film, and talk about some of the themes and ideas that film presents. And we always end the show with our recommendations, further watching, further reading, if you will. And we always start with what else we've been watching. Now, if you listened to our last show, you'll know that Sam is having the sheer audacity to go off and have another child and leave me to it. So I've roped in a series of guests for the next few weeks to help us out. And my first guest is here to talk with me. Say hello. Hello, it's me, it's Naomi. I'm waving at you, but you can't see because this is audio. Well, I think we can feel the wave. That's important. <laughs> that's that's important. It's important. Tell my dear listeners who you are and uh, what you do. My name is Naomi. I produce a podcast called Power Word Roll, which is D&D, but we slap it down to 30 minutes to make it more fun and more consumable. And I also am involved in No More Damsels, which is a charity which brings more women, non-binary and trans people into RPGs. Um, that's kind of what I do. Uh, my next project, you can come and see me. I'm doing a show with What Am I Rolling? And that is on 16th of April in London. Plug complete. Brilliant. Well, you guys who listen to it, you'll know that probably last week we dropped the episode of Triple Feature in which I interviewed Fiona, who runs What Am I Rolling? So that's how the world links up. And it's a <laughs> tiny little podcast world where we're all friends. And Fiona is A-grade lovely. She is. She's absolutely delightful, um, as you will no doubt no, having listened to the episode, guys. <laughs> Naomi just says she does Powered Roll, and it's a really, really good show. She says she, they cut it down, so it's kind of, it's snappy, because actual players can run long, shall we say, and they can yeah. be loose and baggy, and that's half the joy sometimes, but this is a really good um, sort of snappy... Yeah, we're the actual play podcast for people who don't like actual play podcasts. So... <laughs> that's a hell of a pitch. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's to make it more fun and basically I cut out anything that bores me and I have a very short attention span. That's that's fair. I'd recommend the Eberron arc, uh, not because I'm biased and I love Eberron, but it's a really <laughs> good uh, arc as well. So uh, if you haven't listened to them, we'll put all the show notes down below and at the end, Naomi can plug all her social media links and all of that. But in the show notes, there'll be links to everything they do. Perfect. As you may know, guys, we've been doing a series on... High school movies up until this point. Um, and we got to last week, we did uh, Centrinians for all its glory. Very good movie. We are pausing that for the guest hosts, not going to make them jump through the uh, high school movie hoops that we are. And we are moving on. And this week, we are looking at Crimson Peak. More on that in a minute. But as we, we always start with what else we've been watching, a chance to kind of plug or recommend or steer people away from what else they've caught up on recently so Naomi do you have anything else you want to mention that you've seen recently that is worth a mention I have been devouring the most recent series of Silent Witness it's been going for I think possibly a hundred years yes but it is so good it's so good the thing about Silent Witness is it's like hey what if all these CSI cop procedurals actually had enough time to give you a convincing mystery to solve because they do mm-hmm. it in two parts so the actual each story is about two hours which is obviously like movie length 
but then you get five or six of them in a whole series. So I think it's really fun to watch. Their characterization's always spot on. Um, and I think the mysteries are actually quite compelling compared to your mm-hmm. average procedural. I'm shocked it's still going because I remember it from years ago watching that on TV. Um, but it was always a very good one in sort of in the sea of forgettable procedurals. That was always one that kind of stood out. Yeah, they they spoilers. Uh, they killed off two cast members this season, Ooh. so I'm quite terrified of what they'll do in the next season. But I will be watching. I always enjoy shows that have the kind of the gall to kill off a main character and go, yep, that happened. Get on with it. Yeah. It's like, well, they're dead. Um, tune in next week. And you're like, uh? <laughs> ta-da! <laughs> I was doing jazz hands there. I'm sure you felt that. <laughs> no, I felt it. I felt it. That's important, yeah. Um, I have, if people have been listening for a while, no, I'm trying to go back and re-watch movies. I've spent a lot of my life watching films and I always kind of push through to watch new films, what's coming out. And I felt recently that I haven't been appreciating the movies that... I've already watched once or twice or a thousand times and going back and trying to sort of enjoy them again. And to that end, this week, I've watched the 1995 classic teen movie Empire Records. Wow. Which is a a massive film for me because this is the film, one of the films that made me want to make movies. I watched this and I watched Mall Rats in one evening. And this <laughs> is what, these are the films that convinced me to make movies and led me into my Hollywood career. Um so it's a huge film for me in that respect, but I haven't watched it in probably five, six years. Did it hold um, up, is the question. It really did. It's always kind of a knife edge of it holding mm. up or just thinking, this movie is spoiled for me now. Yeah, there have been a few, and there's certainly ones that Sam and I have covered on the podcast. We've gone back and thought, oh, yeah, like, I remember that being brilliant. Wasn't brilliant. Uh, mm. This was. This was just, it was great. Um, all the characters are very likable. It is a very of that era like everyone is kind of middle class and kind of white and kind of straight and it's very in that kind of these days would be called out as being very problematic casting um but for its era it's great it nails the kind of feeling of that kind of age of life of the indecision it nails the feelings around first love and how everything at that age in life feels huge and life-changing and so important um, so yeah, no, I I stand by recommending this movie. It was a really good experience to go back and watch it, um, and it's got a brilliant soundtrack. If you like, like me, I grew up in the eighties, so the nineties music was my teenage years. It was my kind of coming of age music, and this is like a time capsule for that time. And it's nice to go back there. It's better than thinking, uh, well, these kids they're going to have two thousands music. That's going to be their time capsule. Mm, well, that was if you. We were recording this before it was released, um, but the St. Trillions episode that we've recorded, the music in that is such a time capsule. <laughs> it's I amazing. really love that movie. I think it's a great movie for being what is essentially a very terrible movie. We we enjoyed it, but the music is like, it's, I think it's 2006 to the fucking amount. Um, it's, it's got Lenny Sovereign on it. It's got Early <laughs> Girls Allowed. Like it's, a, like, it's such like, oh, I remember this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's... <laughs> Has, it has, has that the opposite of timelessness. It's not nostalgia. It's just that feeling of like, oh yeah, I'm back in this time now. I remember this entirely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always feel like Girls Aloud does that to me personally. I can, I can see that. I can see that. So, guys, as I said, we are looking this week at a non-sort of season movie. We are kind of moving on from our high school movies, and we're going to start with Naomi's pick, and we are picking up with the 2015 movie Crimson Peak. 
Ghosts are real. That much I know. I've seen them all my life. Would you be mine? Edith, this is my sister. I don't think she's the right choice. You have to trust me. Thomas, your bride is frozen. I'll run you a hot bath. Parts of the house that are unsafe. What was that? A house as old as this one becomes, in time, a living thing. Never go below this level. It starts holding on to things. Has anyone died in this house? Specific deaths, violent deaths. In your own best interest, proceed with caution. Keeping them alive when they shouldn't be. If you're here with me, give me a signal. She knows everything. <sighs> do we have to do this? Must we? Yes. You have no idea what they do. What do you want? I have to leave. You have nowhere else to go. This is your home now. Crimson Peak is a gothic, I'd say horror story, maybe gothic yeah. romance story. I'm sure that's something we'll discuss. I think it's really a, a love letter to gothic, um, gothic mm. stories, essentially. Yes. Quick synopsis, guys. It covers um, Edith Cushion, um, played by the very, very good Mia, I'm going to say this wrong, but Waskowska? Yeah, no, that's definitely that wrong. That's very wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it in the background. I, um, she is an American, sorry, is like a daughter of a businessman over there who falls in love and marries a English baronet played by Tomlinson. Moves back to the UK to live with him and his intense sister. Yeah. Played by Jessica Chastain. In possibly the world's worst house. Yes, in a terrible, terrible house that is literally somehow falling apart and sinking at the same time um, and gets sucked into this gothic experience of horror Mystery and, death and tragedy. And intrigue and, and love and lust and all of that. Ghosts. Spoilers. We do always put a warning and say, guys, that we'll be covering spoilers in the show. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie, please go and see it. We do talk in length and in depth about all aspects of the film in these episodes. Naomi, it was your choice. Yes. Why did you choose it? This is such a good movie. Uh, I have strong feelings about this movie because it's it's so pretty. There's something really mm -hmm. fun about the way 
that this movie actually uses the setting aggressively and without regard for uh, realism or um, factual evidence. There's mm. so the the Crimson Peak that's covered in the title is the name of the gothic house that they end up in the second half. Um, and it's called that because there's red clay under the snow and it all sweeps up and goes red. So you end up with lots of um, bloody-esque footprints and uh, red going on white dresses, etc., etc. And I really mm. love the sort of strong visual elements that the story be- story brings. Um, and ex- an excellent cast as well. I just think it's, it's such yes. a beautiful movie to watch. I, I would, I mean, I would echo that. I, this is one of those movies that when it came out, I, I haven't only saw it for this recording. It's been sitting in my to-watch pile for five years now. I saw it when it came out, um, and I thought, I should see that. I just never got around to seeing it. It's always sitting in that list to watch. And the look was what drew me, and I'm a big fan of the old Hammer horror movies. And this felt a lot like a modern retelling of that. I'm a big fan of Del Toro as a director, um, and I just never got around to it. And I'm almost kicking myself. Because I loved this film. Yay! I thought it was amazing. I will say this, guys. Like, it is... It's a film where if you're looking for in-depth character studies and that kind of thing, it's not a movie. It is a visual experience of a movie. Yeah, it's kind of almost a pastiche in in its own way of gothic horror. In my head, I put it in the same box as Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. In that it has you. This is a film where I'm. I've got a nice little viewing area at home, but I'm gutted I didn't see this in cinema. This in the cinema, the visuals of this must be stunning. It's so highly stylized, and that's why I think it's so effective. Mm, And I can see why it didn't do amazing at the box office. Mm. I can see why it didn't kind of land overly well with like because it was sold very much as a horror movie, and as I sort of hinted at earlier. It's not really a horror movie, despite having lots of horror elements to it. In the same way, it's, it was lovely, kind of a bit of a metatextual um, comment in the movie itself when she's telling her story about the story written. And she says, it's not really a ghost story. It's just a story with ghosts in it. Yeah. And this this isn't a ghost story. It isn't a horror movie. It's a movie with horror things in it. It's a story with ghosts in it. But it isn't a ghost story in the same way the house on haunting hill might be and that kind of thing um they are parts of it but they are part of the larger story part of the gothic romance story that they go on yeah the horror elements the 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 horror is not the ghosts and the ghosts are horrible the ghosts are scary they are doug Doug jones doing his best they are intensely creepy you know, I, I I watched this movie in two sections because I have a toddler, I have to. <laughs> and I genuinely had a nightmare about this movie. Hey! Uh, <laughs> and I'm I'm 37. I've seen more horror movies than I get to count. And I haven't had a horror movie dream in a decade. <laughs> and this, I really had. Like, it was just, it's right in the nexus of things that scare me. Um, but that haunted houseness. Um, and the, Doug Jones is just a brilliant performer. Yeah. And his what he brings to these characters, where the the word I'm looking for is the desperation mm. in these ghosts. You really feel like they are clawing their way back into reality. It's very visceral. So many ghosts can just kind of like floating and appear. Like that kind of ethereal nature you often get to ghosts. This these aren't 
ethereal ghosts in that kind of way. They are brutal and vicious and angry and desperate ghosts, um, which is a lovely comparison to right at the end when, spoiler goes, you get Thomas's ghost appearing, who is much more of that old school style of ghosts where they're much more ethereal, much more placid. Um, and I really like the difference in those two things. Yeah, I think the way that they uh, they sort of push their way into other people's spaces is really well done. Mm. So um, early on, the a ghost of Edith's mother comes and warns her about Crimson Peak, um, but she mm. crawls into bed with her, and the ghost has got these long, jointed fingers that sort of caress her hair in a way that is no way comfortting or motherly. Uh, but no. it's it's that sort of push into her space that makes it so uncomfortable to watch. What I really like, we, we covered Nosferatu last year on the show. Another great movie. Um, and the oh, that first time you see the ghost is the shadow of those long fingers. And it, it's an absolute lift Nosferatu. And I don't think that was unintentional. I think, you know, Del Toro is a big sort of student cinema. He knows what he's doing there. And he's evoking that very well-known shot of Nosferatu coming up the stairs in shadow. And mm. the, the kind of bait and switch of this movie is that the ghosts aren't the bad guys. The yes. ghosts aren't the, the, aren't the thing to be scared of in this world and not the ghosts. Um, and that really sets the first shot you've got is this infamous movie bad guy, movie horror character. You're invoking him with the first time you see a ghost. You're told it's her mother. And so you're instantly sort of in your head going, well, that's the mother. So by being a ghost, somehow you become evil and dark and it's translated into that world. And then the film works to subvert that. And I think that's why I really like this over other sort of gothic movies that are modern. In the film, knows what it is, absolutely embraces it, and then at the end, subverts it. Yeah. And this is no more evident to me than the final fight between Lucille and Edith. Having this film been so gothic and dark the entire way through living in this dilapidated house, the final fight is outside in almost like bright white fog and snow. I was so expecting like that kind of traditional gothic, living in the dark, fighting in the dark, everything's gloomy. And it doesn't. Yeah. It's bright and it's still vicious and violent and still brings all of the things you want from this kind of carnal ending of a movie. But it's in this, like, you can do this. You can do it in the light and it still works. And it's Del Toro showing off a little bit and going, I can do this. I can do it anywhere. I do it here. And it works. And I like that about the movie that it knows what it is. It loves it, embraces it, and does something more with it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I I like the moment at the end where uh, Lucille says, um, if uh, you're not getting out of here, you'll have to kill me. And there's a stabbing mm. and then you're not getting out of here you'll have to kill me and she hits her with a shovel i believe and uh she's like i heard you the first time yes. which is a sort of weird light moment what is a very dark visceral sort it of is. scene but i think i think you need know, it is a very almost like a hollywood zinger yeah. it's very bondish i suppose in many ways but i think you need that the film especially towards the end is so draining emotionally the it's it's full on i think the film if i'm 
being can sag a little bit in the middle. Middle once they come to um, Crimson Peak, there's a little bit of it's a bit baggy in the middle. But when it gets to that final third act, it's so intense from her discovering their relationship to the stabbings to Michael dying to not dying, and it's always full on, full on, full yeah. on, full on, full on, full on, and. Even at the end, when you see Lucille and Thomas and Thomas the ghost, it's heartbreaking in its own little way. Obviously, Lucille is maniacal and evil, but also she's yeah. a product of where she came from. And there's the film sets up a lot in that. And you need that release. You need that, yeah. oh, just to kind of yeah. let it go. The, um, the thing I found really interesting about this movie is the way that it reflects uh, gothic tropes. So... In all mm. gothic literature, the blonde girl gets away and she lives, and the dark-haired girl dies. And this really like yep. dials into that. Um, but it feels it feels quite fresh. Um, I like Lucille as a mm. character. I think she's probably kind of the most interesting character, coming from such a difficult background, and obviously she's quite difficult yet sympathetic in her own way. Um, but mm. the thing I like about her is that she is the house. I don't know if you've heard this one before, but uh, yes. any time that she's like in her power or um, sort of asserting her dominance over the situation, uh, you tend to see like the fireplace lights up in the background, and the final mm. like closing of the house is it f- is the fire fading as Lucille dies, and it's sort of reflection of her and her degradation and decay just mentally is kind of reflected in how the house looks and thomas's desperate sort of need to get away from her and the house and innovate mm. but he keeps getting trapped there I, I absolutely agree i think it's very interesting that in that respect is that thomas offers you know we can just go we can just leave you know we've got the money we can just leave and she can't she can't leave, despite the fact that the house is falling down and she has no real interest yeah. in the mining side of things. And she she just she can't be anywhere else. You know, it's it's implied heavily that she went to prison for a long time or some sort of yeah. mental institution following the death of her mother. And she could take that chance and leave, but she you knows she came back and resumed being the daughter again and she resumed this relationship because she just she can't move past that. And it's I think the film is very good, and I think I'd lay a lot of sort of the praise also at mm. Chastain for this. Um, but it does, it really does, does the work to make you hate her and fear her, but also be sad for her. And the scene in which she's playing the piano the first time round and explains her mother and how horrible she was and the viciousness of their parents and all of that. And you do feel an element of sorry for her, an element of empathy. It's the way I think that she did, she describes it in such sort of cold detachment. It's almost mm. like she's telling you a shopping list in the way that she mm. explains the sort of horrible things that they went through. And I think, is you know, with with the deaths that they've happened, happened, clearly they've been vicious, horrible deaths that they've caused, but they all seem to have been at service of the house, all in service of staying where they are to preserve what they're doing and trying to keep them going. And to try and stay together. Yeah, and rather than, like, obviously she enjoys it and there's a... A lovely shot I really enjoy when she cuts off some of Edith's hair, puts it in a little tray, and she's got all these little circles of hair together, all different colours. Um, I really like that lovely sort of little thing that sells that kind of, but they're doing this for the house. She isn't doing it out of 
a great need to kill or enjoyment of killing. It's just almost a practical to serve this. Now, I, I have worked with Chastain in the past, and she's a brilliant actress. And I think she, she, her character in this, you say, is the most interesting. And she brings a lot to that of this, like, I don't know what the word for it is. Like, it's, it's a really kind of brittle fragility at times wrapped around this core of iron. Yeah. Yeah, I like the, um, there's a great scene in the first half uh, when they're still in America with butterflies, which sort of heavily mm. feature again when they're back at the house, but talking about things being beauti- beautiful and fragile, comparing it to Edith. And then uh, the house actually just has these big black moths that are difficult to kill. And the more mm. intense things get, the more of these moths that we sort of see on the walls and things, which I thought was a mm. really nice use of sort of reflection of showing the difference between them and the because f- i th- i think edith is more fragile um in the movie just she yes. she doesn't cope as well she's determined but she's less likely mm. to fight for what she what she's want the she's less likely to fight for what she wants uh when thomas yes. leaves and breaks her heart she just lay de- lays down and cries for a bit until mm things change whereas lucille is relentless in what she's going for i think one of the things i really like to hear about is that in the scenes in crimson pink alley hall towards the end what they did sort of practically is they sized up a bunch of the sets and props oh so the the chair that he sits in and the teacup oh yeah they made them like a third bigger towards the end to try and make Edith look smaller. When she was going through being poisoned and sort of getting weaker and weaker and weaker, they took these props and made bigger versions so that she, in the image, seems smaller and smaller and smaller. She gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And you do see it that she, and when she's in America, everything, she's in these, these sort of tight dresses and the hair's pinned up and she's very business-like and solid. Yeah. And when she's towards the end, she's in this, hair's all out and flowing. She's in these big, flowy, white dresses. Um, and she's just more sort of i don't know what the word for it is but unsolid i suppose just kind of flowing ghostly. and kind of ghostly she becomes this kind of ghostly character um i think one thing we said we've talked around a little bit here is the house itself which is in many ways the fifth character in this movie yeah if we look at the um the four that make it to england it's so well done it's such interesting and one thing i really loved and i really noticed it in one such is that they don't really give you a clear idea of the layout of the house yeah it feels very maze-like it does until right at the end there's one shot when i think yeah, lucille has just killed thomas and there's a shot where she runs down the hallway and the camera pans out, follows her back and then goes down the stairs. And you get this lovely tracking shot through that house and down when she's trying to get to Edith. And it's the first time where you really get a sense of connectedness in lots of these places. And that to me was that speaking to the idea that now everything's out. That the maze of what's going on and why people are acting the way they are has been reflected in the house and the shooting of the house and the editing of the shots is creating this disjointed nature but now all the secrets are out horrific and horrible secrets but they're all out it now allows us to see these things in like a connected 3d space yeah and i really like that because suddenly it felt less like a maze and more like a survival chase and for that you need the idea of a 3d space yeah i i really like just the 
there's there's some beautiful sort of poetic shots of mm. not only is the red goop coming up through the floor, but there's a big hole over the sort of entryway in yes. which dust slash snow continually falls. Mm. And it's poetic, but also a terrible place to live. It's terrible. But I like that because I think a lot, lot of times in horror movies, there's the idea of like a safe space. But if you close the doors and you retreat to your house, then you'll be safe there, like a, a safe haven. Yeah. But the nature of this house prevents that. The nature of the hole in the ceiling and means that the outside's always coming in and there's always something from outside coming in and you can't ever just be safe. Yeah, or warm. Yeah, or warm. Like holes in the walls, falling things falling through. It always feels like you're always kind of exposed. And because you're so isolated in the house, alone and exposed. Yeah. And also there's a lot of looking through things. So there's a, a great shot mm. of Lucille looking through keyholes. Yes. And the fact that Lucille is the only person with a set of keys, which I quite like, mm. sort of it, mm. it aggressively pushes this idea that Edith doesn't belong here yes yes she always feels like interloper like she's the she's wandering around as you said it right earlier like a maze that she's that someone else has created for her yeah um both emotionally and physically mm. so after some rave reviews there do you have some recommendations for us that um uh, further reading as we often call it yes um i am a big guillermo del toro fan uh and one of the other options that i suggested was shape of water um, because the way mm-hmm. that this Crimson Peak reflects gothic horror tropes, uh, The Shape of Water is kind of a love letter to a very good film, uh, in my opinion, which is The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. So it's taking that idea of a monster trying to take a woman away. The monster is trapped and it's uh, the woman trying to take the monster away and it's kind of this sort of very odd love story. And it's, again, beautifully mm. shot, very moody, very intense, um, and actually a lot more fun than Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. But it's a brilliant movie, and I would recommend it. I, I It's another one of the ones sitting on my to-watch list. That's oh, so uh, good. Which I've re- recently cut down to 770 films. <laughs> well, move this to the top, um, yes. but don't watch it with the toddler in the room. Yes, yeah. Because the first scene is a lot more graphic than I thought it would be when I went to see it at the film <laughs> cinema. I was not prepared. I, I have been blamed because very early on, when my daughter was very young, uh, my daughter, we watched a movie. She was, you know, she was a couple weeks old. She couldn't really see or hear. So I watched um, all of the Evil Dead series with her. <laughs> and uh, apparently that's not okay. And uh, she's taken it in. Ah, so you've got a so. toddler with a chainsaw for a hand. Just yeah. messing up all the furniture. Pretty much, yes. yes. <laughs> Someone did buy her a toy, toy chainsaw. Um, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Any other recommendations? That was kind of the one that I was going to go with because I love that's it. Fine, but I was fine. also going to suggest Hunt for the Wilder People because mm-hmm. I'm a New Zealander. You lived in New Zealand. Um, I did. It's another Taika Waititi. Sorry, Taika Waititi. And the New Zealand humour is something you do not get in any other movie. Um, obviously no. Jojo Rabbit recently came out of the cinema that's very good but it also made me cry a lot so mm. take that as you will yes my time in New Zealand's left me for appreciation of, of the humour and uh, all <laughs> these movies that I've seen that no one else here, here has ever seen your recommendations 
my two i have two recommendations this time um one of the recurring characters in del toro's filmography is an actor who i really enjoy and that's Bern gorman um he popped up in pacific rim and and crimson peak and he was originally sort of well known for being in torchwood in the uk yes he also popped up in a film that i love from a couple of years ago called inner valley of violence which is ethan hawke western basically um it's a very old school which it's very um turned down and muted but it's got john travolta as an amazing role as like a a brutal local law enforcement against uh ethan's hawks and he pl- and burn gormans in this as a priest a wandering priest um he has a certain style to his, his acting that's very sort of stiff and i really really like him in this and i really really like the movie so it's a chance for me to recommend this lesser known film that's probably given its uh its actors should have been more well known the second thing i want to recommend is based on the production design the production design of this movie is what we've been praising all the way through and the production designer of it um someone called thomas sanders has done a lot of things over the years um unfortunately he passed away a few years ago now um so he hasn't been making anything obviously since then but very very on his career he was art director on the 1991 movie Hook. Now, Hook is a movie that can divide people, and some people really don't like it. I really, really like it. It came out to me at the right point in my life. I was nine when it came out, so it got me right in that point uh, where it sort of lodged in my brain. But I don't think anyone could fault the movie for its look. It's such a sumptuous and luscious movie, um, and the different places it presents and the art direction of it is amazing and he did that and you can see a through line in his career looking at his filmography of doing these over top overly sumptuous highly detailed pieces of art and design and yeah hook go see it again it looks amazing even if there are some problems with the story and that stuff it looks amazing so that's me naomi where can our listeners find you and the things that you make so you can find our podcast at powerwordroll.co.uk. Um, we have a new website and you can find out all the sort of weird things about us and the thing that we make and also where you would like to listen. Uh, we have some suggestions on where to start if you're not really sure. Uh, Eberron is our top suggestion though, so start with that. You can find all our social media through there, so it's easy, easy peasy. And No More Damsels you can find at nomoredamselsrpg.org. We will throw all these notes, all these links in the show notes, guys, so you can check them out there. You can find me um, online at Kaiju FM, and you can find the show at Peshi Podcast. So a massive thank you for Naomi for A, recommending a brilliant movie that I hadn't seen otherwise, um, and B, coming on and uh, filling in for Sam. It's been a lot of fun. I would do it again. Well, we shall certainly have you back next time he has a child. <laughs> if that happens, but yes, uh, thank you for coming on. It's been really nice to have you on, um, and it's been yeah, it's been really really enjoyed it. Um, so, guys, we'll be back in probably a week or two weeks with another episode from another guest in another movie. Uh, till then, we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you.